we are live. Welcome back to MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for about 30 minutes, and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships. We love live streaming because we can get live feedback, live questions from you, the audience. So if you are in MicroConf Connect, head to the MicroConf On Air channel. If you're watching directly on YouTube, there is a chat function, I think, over on the right-hand side, and producer Xander will be monitoring those, placing them here in our doc. Today, we're going to be talking not about the amazing MicroConf talk that's called the Survival Guide for Bootstrap SaaS. We're going to be talking about the updated Survival Guide for Bootstrapping SaaS because I am pleased to be joined today by Omar Zenholm. He's the founder of Webinar Ninja, and he did this talk back at MicroConf uh, in 2019 about the story of building and growing Webinar Ninja. So if you don't know, Omar is the co-founder of Webinar Ninja. As I just said, he's a super simple online teaching, coaching, and marketing platform. He started it in 2014, and since then, over 2 million people have attended workshops and other events on Webinar Ninja. Webinar Ninja remains a self-funded software company with over 20,000 stakeholders, which are their customer, which are their customers. He's also the host of the popular small business podcast, The $100 MBA Show. He's been featured in Inc., Forbes, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Product Hunt, numerous other small business podcasts. So with that, I'd like to welcome Omar to the show. Thanks for joining me, sir. Hey, Rob. It's good to see you again. It's great to have you. So your talk with the full title, MicroConf Startup 2019, from 1 to 14,000 customers, the survival guide to Bootstrap SaaS. And we wanted to bring you here on, uh, oh yeah, and if you want to watch the show, if you want to watch that talk, head to youtube.com slash microconf, or we're going to have the audio of that talk going in live in the microconf podcast today or tomorrow. So folks can check it out. I actually rewatched the talk last week to prepare for this. And I think we have some good stuff to, uh, to get into today. The first thing I want to ask about is it's been uh, almost three years since yeah. you talked. So knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently when you launched Webinar Ninja back in 2014? Wow. Um, that's a good question. Um, good one, but a hard one. Yeah, I think um, when I launched uh, Webinar Ninja, I was just scratching my own itch, really. I, I, I loved running webinars. I'm a, I'm a former educator, taught, taught in the classroom for 13 years before I became a full-time entrepreneur. So I was really attracted to webinars and the platform of, of, of teaching, really. And um, I, I was really not... I kind of just saw it as like a project or basically almost like I was like building my own website kind of situation. It wasn't even, I didn't think of it as a business. I didn't think of, you know, what are the next steps? I didn't really see the vision of what does this look like in five, 10 years? Um, you know, I, I didn't do a SWOT analysis. You know, I just basically went out there and just created something I wanted to see in the world. Um, and bad habits die hard. So if you don't really have that, um, have that habit of, hey, what's what does this look like at the end of the year and three years and five years and 10 years? You know, what are some of the resources I'm going to need to be able to go where I want? You know, how sustainable it is right now uh, with 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 the current growth or the current traffic I'm getting to my site? You know, it was just kind of because I was just looking at the first step ahead of me like, okay, 
build this tool and put it in front of people, see what happens. Okay. When I see what happens, I'll react. And, uh, and then you just one day leads to one week to one month to one year. And then you realize, Oh man, it's been four years. I need to, I need to think about, you know, <laughs> what is this, what does this mean for my life? You know, um, my co-founder Nicole and I, who's also my wife, we, we talk all the time about how time flies by and we just realized, you know, this April, it's going to be, uh, eight years of Webinar Ninja. So it's like, wow, um, we have the gray hairs to show for it. But I would probably say that is just that forward thinking and thinking more than one one move ahead. You know, no one no one plays chess and just thinks the first move. <laughs> you think, you know, at least five or six moves ahead before you uh, move the pieces. And, you know, on that note, how do you manage growth projections these days and goal setting? Um, I think the best way to... What I found has been helpful is just to to come up with a few different scenarios. Like if this happens, if this is my growth rate, then this is how this is this is what I'm going to do with that growth. This is how I'll react to that. This is a, these are the type of things I'm going to need. These are kind of the people I'm going to need to hire. Um, if that rate looks like this, if that rate looks like that, so it just gives me a a few options to look at. So that um, and I usually have like an extreme option. Like what if we grow, you know, three hundred percent, you know, um, which happened in COVID. So we're like, okay. Um, what, what does that look like? So uh, that at least allows me to not freak out when something happens. I, I kind of played that episode in my head already. So it gives me a chance to kind of, um, you know, uh, live the reality a little bit in my mind before it actually happens in real life. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to ask a question about COVID and, and how it impacted Webinar Ninja. Given given the industry you're in, did you see increased demand in, you know, as COVID cranked up in 2020? Yeah, COVID was uh, an interesting ex experience for us as a company because we saw incredible demand. And I would say our, our, our customer demographic really changed big time. Like who we serve now is totally different than who we served, uh, you know, when I gave that talk in 2019 um, because COVID kind of opened the floodgates. It kind of just almost like fast forwarded to the future almost like, you know, um, and, you know, we got customers emailing us, telling us, you know, like, listen, I can't do my karate studio anymore. They got to close the doors. Um, how am I going to do my karate studio? Can your can your software help me? Can I do my karate classes with webinars? You know, and so I I I went from a customer that's really well well versed in technology in the space, knows what a webinar is, knows um, how to utilize it, maybe kind of been on a few webinars, to somebody who their business is a brick and mortar, you know, or their business is doesn't even have a website, you know, so it's like, it's a little bit of a different demographic, uh, along with the fact that um, we started to shift a little bit, uh, because we were really competing in a space of using webinars uh, as a marketing tool, um, which which is how a lot of people use webinars. But um we started to really differentiate with with just focusing on being more of a teaching and learning tool so people actually use our software to deliver their product or service or deliver uh some sort of workshop to bring in their audience and things like that so um, i think the biggest challenge for us as a company was realizing oh who we were going after in terms of marketing our messaging our website that that's not our customer anymore um, we need to like speak to some customers. <laughs> so we would get on the calls and we would uh, take notes and we would transcribe those videos and, and realize, oh, okay, you know, 
most of our customers are solopreneurs or people that are running their business by themselves. If they have a team, it's like two other people and it's like family members, right? And we realize, okay, um, we need to double down on the idea that our software is super simple to use uh, because um, they don't have the, the the resources to really get an expert or uh, train somebody or um, you know, really, uh, work with uh, an onboarding expert expert on our team and things like that. So, uh, it really shifted the way we, we presented, or, uh, I would say positioned our, our, our product as well as just, uh, the whole team from engineering to support understanding, okay, this is really our customer now. Um, and, uh, of course there's variations, but, um, it, it definitely changed a lot in COVID. Yeah, I can imagine that was a massive mindset shift and must have been pretty challenging because I imagine, and you may have gotten there first. I know often as the founder, you're getting these streams of data and you're thinking, there's a shift happening in this company. Then oftentimes your team doesn't know that and you have to then kind of convince them with, with data. I mean, what was that process hard? Did you just one day say, hey, this is what we're doing or were other people seeing the, the tea leaves as well? One of the things that really was helpful is that I do member webinars. I still run our member webinars till today, like where I once a month I'll get on the webinar and I uh, answer questions. I talk about what's coming up next in our future releases, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I started to uh, we have like a questions area and you can export that, that those questions to CSV. Right. And. I would start to notice the questions that were coming in and they're very different than they used to be like things like, you know, um, do I need to have uh, an email with my URL in it? You know, like, do I need, uh, um, to get an LLC or should I just, uh, you know, be a freelancer things like that questions that are very like, Oh, these people are still, you know, at, at a stage that they're not, not where our customers used to be, you know, like yeah. our customers used to be very savvy and very like, you know, uh, I'm just running webinars so I can have another growth hack, you know? So uh, I started to realize, okay, this is not a one-off. Like every month this is happening and most of the questions are very at a different stage. Uh, a lot of it were, t were like just general, like very basic technology questions uh, like, you know, What's a webcam I can use? That's that's not my laptop. Things like that. So then I, I started to export these questions. I sh we would share them with our customer support team first because we're like, hey, you know, these are the type of questions we're getting. Uh, are you seeing the same in your customer support chats and your messages? And you know, I would speak to CJ, who's our customer service manager, and she would you know confer. And and then I would go ahead and we would talk to the CTO, our CTO, and be like, okay, like uh, we need to start thinking about. Uh, shifting our, our roadmap really to cater to this type of customer um, because their needs and their wants and what they're asking for are totally different. Um, and we started to realize that um, people want more of an all-inclusive, all-in-one software that is, it may not have all the features of our competitors or may not be able to, you know, host 10,000 people but they're never going to get 10,000 people. Like that's not, that's not their jam. They're really have smaller groups, smaller workshops, things like that. So, uh, it, it was just interesting just to share. It's so much easier just to share actual words from the customer than for me to say, trust me, this is what they're saying, you know? Um, and, um, we also in our team retreat, we try to do a bit of, um, uh, 
get everybody on support tickets, even like, you know, the engineers and marketing. And they started to realize, okay, I mean, um, one of our uh, front end engineers who's from Belarus, um, bless his heart, is a beautiful man. Um, but he just put it simply in his English and said, you know, wow, these guys, they just want to press a button and that's it. It's over. I was like, yeah, exactly. That's what they want. They want to press a button, do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it was. Yeah. That's a big shift. Yeah. And, and I imagine with that shift, there's this mental shift and there's this directional shift. Were there any changes that you made to your company structure as the pandemic hit? And then as this whole kind of pivot-ish expand, it's like a pivot, but it's almost an expansion of, of the mm. customer base, but any, any team structure or company structure changes? Yeah, we, we basically were in a rush to hire. So, cause we realized we need to get more engineers. We need to get more customer support agents. We need to expand our, our, our marketing team because we were not really um, doing any kind of real market research. You know, I, I was like, oh, I know the customer, you know, mm -hmm. I, I am the customer. Like, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm so much in the weeds. I don't, I'm the worst person to ask about what, what's best for the, for the customer right now. <laughs> but, um, uh, so that was a big challenge for me personally, is that we had to make some really, uh, quick hires quick, you know, as fast as possible in a short period of time. And, and making these decisions can really, uh, be costly, right? Especially if you're making positions, uh, hiring positions in, 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 a, in a managerial position, people that are making decisions on a daily basis that will affect the trajectory of your business. Um, and, you know, I, I think I just, uh, in the process, I, I put a lot of trust in the people we hired based on referrals and references and, and people like recommending them and things like that. Like, oh, this person is going to be great where I have no problem. And realize, oh, okay, like, you know, these are some big mistakes that are happening here that, you know, cost us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes, you know, wow. and it's like, okay, wow, this is, this is tough because um, you want to meet the demand. But at the same time, um, you know, one of our reasons we were able to bootstrap our business is that we're very, very uh, frugal and very methodical and very resourceful. And, you know, if you, if you bring in new people and they don't, know that and they come in with whatever they're used to in their other company it's kind of like oh wait I, you know you're, you're, you're we're gonna we're gonna have a problem here very soon because mm -hmm. we're not singing from the same song sheet here so that that was a big challenge for us big time yeah i can imagine and that comes back to like you know it's it's something I think we start our own companies to not have to deal with mission, vision, and values, right? Because they were such bullshit at the other companies I worked at. They would have them on a plaque and no one really cared or said them. But there comes a time in your when your team hits a certain size, especially as you bring in new hires, where it no longer you're no longer communicating your mission, vision, values through osmosis. And you have to do it deliberately yeah. right i mean and is that whether it's mission vision values or whether it's some document you know that you that yeah. somehow captures this is who we are this is how we think about things one of them is frugality for you it sounds like like we're we're self-funded company and we you know i imagine it's like we spend money when we need to but we're also quite frugal and if that wasn't written down anywhere then someone comes in having been working for you know corporate uh headquarters for target for decades had all this budget suddenly it's like it, you get a mismatch right how did you yeah how did you write that well, uh, one of the things that I I learned from my teaching days as a teacher in the classroom is re really the, the 
this whole mission vision and values and just like, you know, it kind of glosses over most people in orientation. What we like to do instead is we kind of uh, give examples and they're kind of like classroom rules. I know that sounds strange, but they're kind of like classroom rules. And the reason why we do that is because um, if you remember back in grade school, you know, really the rules are what you can get away with. Really, that's what it is. Like if it's if the teacher says there's no talking during the exam and uh, a, a student starts talking during an exam, the real rule is that you can talk during the exam. Right. And mm -hmm. that's the rule. Mm -hmm. If the teachers, you know, you know, put some aside and said, hey, you're going to sit here now. Now we know, OK, that rule's real. Right. So we realize that if we're going to have some sort of uh, uh, set of things that we all believe in, some sort of values uh, we have to uphold them in some way and they can't be too many, right? And they have to be pretty core values, you know, three or four or five max. Um, but most importantly, I can't police them or I can't enforce these values or I can't uphold these values and make sure that when people don't do these things that we have a chat by myself, I had to make sure that, you know, our management level, you know, all understood that, hey, this is what we do when, when somebody doesn't do this or somebody doesn't uh, understand this or needs to be taught or needs to be coached through this. Um, and then what happens if they continue to do this, all that kind of stuff? Because uh, otherwise, um, what happens is that, you know, you do an all hands, you do a retreat, that's when you revisit your values. And then everybody kind of, you know, snickers at it because it's like, oh, not really, you know. Um, so that's what I was trying to prevent. Um and um, one of the things that what happened in that process when we were growing rapidly during COVID is that we were hiring quickly, but we also had to fire a bunch of people that have been with us for years. Wow. Uh, and the reason why is because one of our growth value, one of our re, uh, our values is growth is is a is a growth mindset, not only in terms of the company but in terms of all of us as individuals, because. What happens is that the, the company starts to grow, the company starts to change, how we work changes, we we level up our procedures and how we how we do things and how we run our meetings. Uh, and people don't sometimes connect with that. Sometimes they they resist that. They're like, I like the way things used to be. And and sometimes when people don't come along with the ride, don't grow with us. We had to kind of have a chat with them and say, this is not working out. You know, like, I need you to change. I need you to grow with me. It's painful for me, too, by the way, as a founder. Like, it's hard for me to say, I'm not good enough. I need to change. I need to get better if I want to get to where I'm going. You know, like, I'm not the CEO of the company I see in five years. I need to get there. So um, it was heartbreaking. And also part of that, you know, change and growth and new people coming in and people leaving is like, talking to the team on a daily basis, you know, PMs and in Slack and things like that saying, Hey, how you doing? Because it does shake morale a little bit when somebody who's been in the company for five years, six years, uh, leaves and they're like, Oh, am I next? It's, is, is this how it's going to be? Because you know, they're growing. Um, so it's really, uh, a, a soft skill people person challenge that I didn't expect. Yeah. That's really tough. A uh, reminder to folks watching, we have uh, listener questions coming in, and you can post them in MicroConf on air or in the YouTube comments. The first question is from Zach on YouTube, and he says, if you were to start a business in 2022, would you still bootstrap it, or would you be open to bootstrapper-friendly capital like Tiny Seed? I did not plant this, this question. <laughs> um, and, and what's your thought process behind it? 
full disclosure um my i my thoughts my opinions on bootstrapping has changed drastically over the course of the almost eight years now with webinar ninja i used to be super gung-ho bootstrapped is a way have full control this is your business this is why you got into it in the first place um that changed a bit as you realize that is not the answer for every stage of your business. That is not the answer for every business. Every business needs something different. Um, and uh, I'm not too proud to say, uh, I I do recommend people to look at um, options like TinySeed. I remember when I learned about TinySeed in MicroConf, I was like, this is a brilliant idea. Like, uh, you know, because one, you don't realize how much strain bootstrapping a business has on your personal life, on your personal relationships, on your 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 partnership or your marriage with with whoever you're with. Um, you know, my business partner is my wife. So there's there's double pressure that we have on us. There's so much of our personal capital that got invested into this company. Um, and it's almost like you're 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 like a gambling junkie. You're like, I gotta go all in now because you know everything is on the line and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I do think this is actually a pretty good option because at least it frees you up to say, Hey, I have some capital to get started. I have some, even if you're not just getting started, even if you are ramen profitable, even if you have product market fit and you want to get some, uh, a boost in cash so you can make some higher, so you can grow your team, invest in marketing. This is a great option because one, it's not a bad thing that you have a partner. It's not a bad thing that you have somebody who's who's going to take a slice in your business in exchange for you to t go to the next level. Um, it's kind of like that whole thing. Do you want you know? Um, do you want a bite out of a? a do you want a slice out of a, a, a watermelon or a grape? You know, like it, your business has the potential to grow much bigger, not only in terms of the investment, but the the know how and the help and the guidance are going to get from 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 an investor or from a. a, a a company or a organization like tiny seed. So I'm, I'm totally, I've shifted a bit, a lot of bit, <laughs> uh, over the years because, um, it's really hard to be creative and to think clearly when you have the ceiling falling down on you. And that's how bootstrap businesses are for the most part. You're constantly like taping up this and doing that and making sure you're trying to survive, you know, and, and at the same time, meeting demand and growing. And it's hard to be creative in that environment. It's hard to really come up with innovative uh, uh, solutions. Uh, so having the, the at least the financial piece taken care of and help helping you out and giving you some oxygen is, is something I, I, I would do it. If I did it all over again, I would do it. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting to hear you say that because I didn't know, you know, what your answer is, and your answer could also have been, "Hey, I'm a bootstrapper, and that's what I do, and that's okay," you know. But I started Tiny Seed because I want. I wished I had been able to do this ten years ago, you know, when I was grinding it out with Hittail and grinding it out with Drip, and to the same thing, to you know, to your point, it's it's really hard to be thinking about quality of life and growing the business when I'm like, "Can I make the bills this month?" Right? Or or I'm working forty hour day job. 20 hour a week nights and weekends, which is what I did for years. And I would really wish that there had been some other option. It doesn't have to be tiny seeds. You, you can yeah. raise a little bit of money, bootstrapping, non mostly bootstrapping. It's, it's just a tool. Funding is a tool and know what you're getting into with it. And, uh, you know, use it as a tool to grow your business. More listener questions pouring in. Um, 
Mujad on YouTube says, I'm also just starting on a bootstrapped company with my spouse. Anything you would tell yourself back then? Ooh, that's like, I like that question. Yeah. Um, Definitely uh, have a discussion about responsibilities and roles. And one of the things Nicole and I always do is we like to start the conversation that like it's really hard to separate your personal life from from business because you're 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 not talking to a different person. You're talking to your wife, right? You're talking to your partner in life, whoever it is. So um, we we always understand that hey, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility. Let's work together. Uh, to get get to where we want to go in the business. But at the same time, you have to recognize that uh, your relationship is really the most important thing here. Like you can start another business, you can get another job, you can invest in another opportunity. You know, it's really hard to find another partner in life that's going to support you and be part of you, uh, a part of your life and part of your journey. So just keep that in mind, I I would say. Um, is And also... It's one of the advantages, I think, is I think it's like some sort of divine intervention. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's almost never that we're both down at the same time. Like, I'll have Mm -hmm. a bad day or I'll be like, oh, this why did we start this thing in the first place? What's going on here? I'm dealing with all these problems and these issues and I got to put out these fires. And then she'll be up and she'll be like. We could do this. Don't worry. You know, we've handled this before. Da, 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 da. And then vice versa some other time. And that's really a blessing. That's really something that like I don't take for granted because it is hard to run a business by yourself and to have somebody who cares about you, to have somebody that has your best interests in mind, that you don't have to question their motives all the time about why they're saying this and all that kind of stuff is is really good, is really good and really cool. That's great advice. Good to hear. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that your team made a lot of changes. Uh, there were a lot of changes that went on over the past few years. So let's say between when you did this, this talk that we're talking mm-hmm. about in 2019 versus today, w- you know, what is, what is your team structure like today? I guess describe, yeah. uh, you know, size and, and how, how you structure it. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say that probably around the time of the talk, um, I would say the majority of the team would report directly to me or Nicole. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, really hard that was really hard uh the funny thing is after microconf we were going to europe for a short holiday was like um not even a week maybe maybe a week i don't know but like i couldn't shut off i could not actually have a full day without looking at my phone or putting out fires or answering questions or whatever it is um and at that moment i was like this is this is ridiculous like i haven't had a vacation since I left teaching, which was 2012. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for hard work. I'm all for giving it all you can. Um, but uh, I, is it Jason Fried that says, like, I'm interested in having a stay up and not a startup? Like, just mm-hmm. have, I, I, in order for me to continue going for the rest of my life, I need to pace myself. You know, I ran long distance track when I was in high school. And that's something that you learn very quickly is like, you know, you need to understand how much left you have to go still. And for most of us, you have more to go than you already had, uh, have, have endured so far. So that, that was, that was a big learning. So I, we started to realize, okay, how can we, first of all, get the right people in place so that the, the most, uh, labor intensive question intensive type of things are taken care of. And 
most of us think of like these big hires. I'm going to need a CTO, I'm a CEO, I need a, you know, this a VP of this and VP of that. And actually, the first thing is that we just got a really good EA. We got a really good person who basically became the head of HR. You know, she, she took care of all the stuff in terms of like leave and scheduling and emails and send me your bio and all, all the things that these, these little tasks that take up all your time, uh, what Dan Martell calls $10 tasks, right? All these little $10 tasks. And that kind of just gave us some breathing room, be like, you, you can't go directly to me for everything. You have to go through our executive assistant who will probably help your help you much faster and better than we will because we are doing a million things. So this person is just dedicated to answer these little small admin questions. From that point on, we when we got a taste of that, we're like, oh, wow, okay. What else can we do in terms of like bigger decisions? So uh, we, we brought on a full-time CTO and that was a great decision that we had because somebody who uh, was able to kind of take ownership of all the engineering and product decisions and, and hires and who's going to get hired next and vetting CVs and all that kind of stuff that takes all your time. Okay, great. That, that was taken care of. We promoted somebody in customer support to somebody to take care of all of customer support and, and manage people. Then we didn't made another promotion that helped uh, train the team. So somebody who's really versed in, in the knowledge of the product became uh, uh, you know, somebody who trained, trained uh, the rest of the team members. Uh, we invested in QA big time, and, and, and that was an internal hire as well. Somebody who was, actually was in support, was really interested in getting into the engineering team, and uh, made that shift, and that that also was another buffer between me and the engineers and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying it's perfect right now, but it's a whole lot better. We still need to make a few hires uh, to free up my time. Um, somebody I really highly uh, admire and listen to a lot is uh, is Ayman Abdullah, who was the president of, of AppSumo for a very long time. Um, and he's taught me a lot about like, hey, uh, he has this analogy of like the the – the camp, the camp manager, you know, he doesn't actually build the tents. He has his coffee mug in his hand and he tells people, hey, do this next step, do this next step, right? And so always think about this idea of having a mug in your hand and try to delegate as much as possible and not actually do the work. He actually encourages me, Nicole, to be allergic to work. Try try to be allergic to work, which is very hard as a bootstrap founder because that's how you got where you are is working. <laughs> but then you realize, okay, I need to empower other people so that I can have a life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that, you know, if you don't grow a company to the size that you have grown it, you don't run into these, these speed bumps, I call them, right? It's things that, that you hit and they, they feel like roadblocks at the time, but <laughs> you can't take a vacation. Like that's terrible, but you, yeah. you get into it, you figure it out. I mean, this is what being an entrepreneur, so much of it is just troubleshooting and creativity. You know, I just want to say one thing about that, because I know that I heard this advice when I was my first few user bootstrapping. And I said, this sounds great, but I don't have the budget to hire anybody. Right, I can't hire. I don't have any extra money laying around to even to hire an EA. And my answer to myself back then, and to anybody who's asking that or thinking that right now, is ask yourself how can you afford it? If you, how can you carve out X amount of dollars a month to pay for that next position? Don't think about all the positions right now. Just think about that next position if it's as EA or whoever it is. And it could be launching a new product. It could be increasing your pricing. It could be adding some ex, you know, expansion revenue, some premium support, whatever. But don't just say, I can't afford it. How can you afford it is really what you need to find out because 
the alternative is not sustainable, right? That's right. That's right. Run an, run an annual special and sell a bunch yeah. of annual plans, right? No, this is this is a mindset shift that I had as well, where I would come up with ideas that would solve a problem, and then I would figure out excuses why I couldn't implement those ideas. And what you're saying is, just get rid of the excuse. How can I instead of I can't? So as we're heading towards time, I have, I think, one more question for you, and it's about the future. Since you're steeped in webinars and streaming technology and all that, like when you look ahead three years, five years, where do you see the webinar landscape heading? Yeah, so we've already um, explored this idea, and we're already moving in that direction, a different direction. Um, we're still very much into uh, live teaching, live learning uh, with webinars. But one of the things that we've learned from our customers, we would get on calls and, and chat with them and figure out like, what are they doing? And I was really interested in like what they actually sell. And most of them were kind of Frankensteining a lot of different software together to run their cohorted live courses. Hmm. So they would, for example, have a landing page on lead pages, and then they would have a payment processor, some sort of um, cart like Sam Cart or something like that. These are all great products, by the way. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and then they would uh, have Zoom so they can do the actual session. And then they would have some sort of membership software like uh, Teachable or uh, or something like that. So they, they can take the recording from the Zoom and put it in the Teachable and then give the, the student access to that. Um, and so they have like a whole bunch of things moving around so they can run these live cohort of courses. Um, these are like seven week courses on accounting or something like that. And, and they're all live and there's handouts and people show up and things like that. Um, and, and there's been a shift big time in terms of live cohort of courses recently because of uh, completion rates. Of course, COVID pushes everything, but also just people love the community aspect of growing together with another, another cohort. So what we learned from our customers is that um, they have, there's all these little potholes in the system. For example, they're running a coaching program and somebody stops paying their fee and they're like, hey, this is not for me anymore. They still have all the invites and the links from Zoom so they can actually attend if they wanted to. Hmm. They ha they can disconnect them from Teachable, but they have to also disconnect them from the billing. And it's a, it's, it's a, actually too much for somebody who's running their business by themselves. You mm -hmm. know, So we realize, well, we already do all this stuff with Webinar Ninja, but we just do single sessions. We don't, you know, um, so we're, we've already kind of announced this with our own members. We're, we've have a courses module that's really just dedicated to live cohort of courses, um, which will allow people to uh, have their students sign up, have their own little uh, portal and dashboard where they can go directly inside to go to the, the live, uh, to the live session and also watch the replay automatically when it's over, watch that and see that we were really, we're really bullish on, online learning uh in the future and especially live online learning um but we also perceive that there's going to be a lot of hybrid type of live and recorded so like do a bit of homework and then come in once a week and and meet with with your instructor or with your group and do some project together um so you know when i started in webinars it was large live events you know 100 200 300 people a thousand people going to your webinar and people selling product and all that kind of stuff and i think it's now changed to more of smaller groups but um you know more focused more intense more value uh type of things um and for us our customers when we kind of 
beta id to you know, we said hey would you think of this idea and we we kind of did some mock-ups and some some uh some some demos that they realized oh this is great then i could just sell my course with webinar ninja directly and then be able to give access to my to my customers in one place so uh that was an epiphany for us to realize okay we can solve another problem for our customers that they're really uh, going through so it sounds like a bundling. You think that a lot more tools will be bundling additional functionality yeah. in, in that model. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. All right. So one last question before I let you go. Um, what's the most surprising thing you've learned to date running Webinar Ninja? It's a hard question. I know when I ask for one, but. the I would say the most surprising thing, the thing that caught me by surprise was how much I had to change as a person. Like, I didn't know how much personal growth is involved to be able to grow a company. Like, I th I thought it was like, okay, you got to learn, you got to know the strategies, you got to read the right books, maybe you listen to some interviews. No, like, I don't recognize the person that I was four years ago. Like, you have to change your habits, who you are, the way you think, um, you know, your beliefs, like the, even just that small thing with bootstrapping, like you question your beliefs. Is that really great? A great idea for everybody? Is that a great idea for you? Maybe you know you need to you need to be able to switch your values and the way you think so that you can uh, survive as a business. Um, and it's just you know one of the, one of the things that I learned from the the biography um, Shoe Dog, uh, which is uh, Phil Knight's memoir. Great. is how much he had to evolve how much he had to change how much you know crap he had to go through to get get to where he was um and and i i see that in myself too and that was the most surprising thing for me is like how much you have to evolve as a person it's a great answer sir thanks so much for joining me on microconf on air today if folks want to follow you you are the omar zenholm on twitter thanks again sir thanks rob all right, and as we head out, I want to remind you that MicroConf Mastermind applications close this Friday. Head to microconfmasterminds.com if you want to be paired up with other like-minded individuals at similar stages to you. And we have done more than 600 matches over the past, I think, 18 months since we've been doing this. More than 150 million in ARR of companies, uh, founders that, who have matched. So whether you're just getting started, whether you're doing north of, you know, well north of a million dollars, we have other folks who we can match you with. And as always, thank you to Hay and Stripe for being our headline partners. Um, they have been longtime supporters of MicroConf, and they continue to be through 2022. Thanks again for joining me here, and I'll see you again at same time, same place in two weeks.